Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Ayana Davis, who is an advocate, an artist, and also known as phenomenally autistic. And in that nomenclature, she is an artist, she is an advocate, she expresses self-love, joy, equity, diversity, inclusion, and really promoting acceptance through the arts. It's a pleasure to have her because not only has she have a diagnosis, but she has suffered many health concerns that go along frequently with that diagnosis of autism. And she is one resilient woman that I know. So welcome today, Ayana. Hi, how are you? Thank you for coming. Tell us a little bit about what it's like for for you to have been diagnosed with autism. I assume you weren't super young when you were diagnosed, correct? No, I'm a millennial. So um, I wasn't diagnosed until about, um, I'm terrible with like timelines. So I'll say it was about seven years ago. So I wasn't diagnosed early in life because we, um, in African American community, black community, we never heard a lot about autism. So that was one of the reasons. Also being that I'm an artist, you know, people are like, you guys are eccentric. And so they just let me be my, my free, sometimes weird self. So being diagnosed later in life, I feel, um, you know, I felt at a place. I didn't have a lot of answers as to why I was the way I was. So finally getting my diagnosis, which was by accident, um, it took a lot of pressure off me and it was a relief, but it was also a surprise. What, first of all, how did you wind up getting a diagnosis if it was such a surprise? I'm curious about that. Oh, it's fine. Um, because I was in the hospital and, um, you know, my dad came to the hospital every day and I, my doctors noticed that I had a disconnect with everyone. I wasn't um, really looking at anyone and I wasn't making eye contact with anyone and I just wasn't, they just saw something different and they just saw that something might have been off. And um, I don't really like using that word when you talk about people who don't like saying, oh, she's off, but <laughs> I'm just using it, you know, for context. So um, they wasn't really sure what was going on. So they just said, um, let's evaluate her for a few things. So they just gave me like a full evaluation um, they brought in a evaluation team, and I don't think they were looking for autism. I think they were just doing a evaluation to see what they could find, and that was one of the things that they found. And, you know, they spoke to my dad. They asked him, well, how was she when she was a child? And he told them how I was when I was a child, and um, they 
it was such a long test. I was, they let me take breaks, so they were very kind and nice and had a lot of patience because I needed a lot of breaks. I was like, I can't do this right now. But um, they came back to speak with my treatment team like two or three days later. And they were like, yeah, she's on the spectrum. So when you got that clarity, because it sounds like that was a real shift in your life, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You were already an artist, but you started to focus your art more in that realm. Is that right? Or do I? Um, I actually was, I was, I was expressing myself through art, but not as much as I could because I was kind of um, going into this shell because I didn't really wasn't really understanding myself, but I had gotten to the point where okay, I know I'm an artist, but there's something else. I'm not expressing myself for other reasons, but I didn't know why. So when I got my diagnosis, I was like, okay, well, this is why. Um, so it's time for me to continue to be myself, but for me to now be my true self. What was it like growing up? Because you spoke in the African-American community. It's much less diagnosed, not because the incidents are much lower, but because it is a bit worse care, frankly. And... Women tend to get diagnosed, underdiagnosed as well. What was it like for you growing up? Yeah. Um, growing up, it was, again, I was an artist, so I was left to be my free self. But as far as, like, I didn't have a lot of friends except for, like, um, my friends that were in the art programs that I was in. So, like, art class and dance class and theater. But besides that, I was terrible at making friends. Um, I didn't speak much. Um, like nobody really wanted to be my friend because I was so quiet and awkward. And so it was difficult. And then we didn't know what it was at the time, but I had like such terrible social anxiety, um, and a lot of, um, overstimulation, sensory overload. But again, we knew, we didn't know what any of that was. So it was just like, oh, she's, she's shy. And, she loses her patience quick. No, I was just, I was overstimulated. I had anxiety and we just, nobody knew why. Like even my dad and I share this with permission. I used to tell him at night, I used to have my chest hurts and he'd be like, you just don't want to go to bed, go to bed. So it was just like, we, nobody just, nobody understood why. Nobody knew why. So if you were your parents, what would you have done differently? I would I would have did what they did because, um, again, the education wasn't there, the resources weren't there. If I had an eccentric child who just wanted to draw all day and would rather draw than speak with people, because I'm big on letting people be who they are, and they knew I was an artist, so they let me be who I was. So I would have done exactly what they did. I like that. What is the role art plays in your life? it plays a big part. Um, I don't feel that I would be able to flourish without it. Um, it's a way that I express myself. Um, it, it helps me flourish. I don't feel that I could function without it. Um, it's how I make a living. So it, it is my life. Art is life. So that's saying art is life. It really is. Art is life. Art is life. I'm 
thinking about the confluence between being an artist and being on the spectrum, do you think those two things go together? Your vision of the world is different because of your neurodiversity and therefore you express that in your art? Um, I feel a little bit of both. Um, I, cause I'm a cartoonist. So I do a lot of cartoons of like children and, children being in different settings but I feel as far as because I write I write children's books as well so I feel as far as my writing that's probably more of where you see things through my neurodiverse lens so as far as that yes I can say that that is where you see things through my neurodiverse lens but as far as the art that that is my artistic lens when we were interviewing before the show I learned that you have had over 300 seizures. You have lived yes. with chronic illnesses. You have yeah. five autoimmune diseases as well as yeah. a seizure disorder. Yeah. You are one resilient woman. Where do you get that strength and inner support? Well, first, in February, God willing, I would have made it to two years seizure-free. So I'm very, very, very grateful for that. And honestly, I don't know where the resilience comes from. I just try to remain as positive as I can and be grateful that I can keep pushing through and that I'm still here because everybody isn't as lucky. Some people have won and they don't make it. So there's, there's a reason that I'm still here. Even if every day that I don't know it, um, maybe one day I'll figure it out. Maybe one day I won't. But just try to remain positive and always remain grateful. And I'll bet your art expresses that positivity as well. Do you use bright colors? Yes. <laughs> I would imagine. So when you think about your life, you got diagnosed seven or eight years ago or whatever that shifted for you, the way you view yourself, yourself in the world, your history, all of those things. What's next for you? Um, well, I'm going to continue to advocate. Um, I have a few um, certain issues that um, I have to lay out in the order that I want to do as far as the advocacy goes. So I'm going to really be working heavily on that going into the new year. Um, I plan to start getting back into my advocacy and my art because I'm on a short break right now. Um, around February, as far as my art, I'm going to continue to do the children's books that I'm doing. Um, since I do so many different forms of art, I haven't decided like what I'm going to focus on in 2024. I'm just kind of going to go with the flow. Are you very goal oriented when you figure it out? Are you fairly directed? It, yes. If I say I'm going to do this and I give myself a goal and then I like to get it done, but even if I don't reach the goal, I'm not too hard on myself. I'm like, okay, well, you're still going to get it done. You just didn't get it done when you wanted to. How healthy. the world. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. So where did you come up with the name Phenomenally Autistic? It was actually for me to convince myself that I was phenomenally autistic. And also Maya Angelou is my favorite poet. Um, and her poem, Phenomenal Woman. Because when I first was diagnosed, I was I didn't like it. I was like, I don't want to be autistic. They don't know what they're talking about. So I, I didn't feel phenomenal and I didn't feel 
like I was great and I was wonderful. And so for about a year, I probably hated the fact that that's what they found out, that I was, you know, neurodiverse, that I was autistic. So when I finally decided that I was only making my life harder by not accepting it, and I really decided to embrace it, I was like, you know, you let, let's be phenomenal. So let's let's be phenomenally autistic. And that's what I decided. And things have been amazing ever since. It's great. That is a great approach to any life change, right? If you're going to be it, then be it big. Own it, right? So what would you like our listeners to go before we sign off today? What didn't I ask you? Um, well, you have some really good questions. So I don't think you left anything out. You have some really awesome questions. All right. All right. Is music a big part of your life? Do you listen to music while you make art? Um, yeah, sometimes I listen to music. Um, sometimes, like, my favorite singer is Alicia Keys. Um, sometimes I'll only listen to her instrumental, though. But I do love music. It's actually very, very calming. So if you're feeling overstimulated, music is a good place to go because it kind of like shuts out the rest of the world. You can ground yourself. So that, it is a big part of things that help me cope. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Ayanna. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And for my audience, you should really look up and keep your eye out for what this woman is going to be doing, this advocate and artist, phenomenally autistic. And if you like this episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast, please like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.